Welcome back to your favorite one-tenth scale servo-actuated podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. And I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Director of Education and Community Engagement. Well, everybody has a hobby or two that they enjoy, right? And for me, it's pretty well documented that I enjoy grilling gotten into uh, biking more recently. But uh, what about you guys? Tell us about some of your favorite hobbies. Mike, I think you've left out the the most important hobby we've feel like we've all adopted, and that is drinking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, what? I, I only drink water and tepid tea. <laughs> tepid. If by water you mean water that's been distilled with corn and rye, then I would say yes, that is accurate, Mike. I don't want to call it a hobby oh, man. just yet. I think, that's, I think that's wise. I'm more professional of us not to, so I understood. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I I have always also really been into cooking, but I've been doing a lot more of that, you know, because we, we really don't go out anymore. So I've been doing a lot of that. But really lately, I've been getting into um, plants recently, and I have adopted um, some indoor plants. They have been um, bequeathed to me by my mother-in-law, and I've been I've kept them alive now since like November. Wow, and good I've got for you. like five or six um, plants that that have not died yet, <laughs> and uh, I'm very I'm very proud of that because I I I'm not known for my green thumb, so I'm doing well. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty. My my two stepdaughters have really gotten gotten into plants in the past year or two. So we should uh, hook you guys up. You should talk plants sometimes. Oh, Stephanie. we should. I know. I know very little, but I do know that uh, my plants currently are living. That is very good. Well, if you can raise two awesome children and a dog and everything else, I would hope you could take care of some plants. As I think well, the plants so. are harder. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know you what they need. You got to remember to water them. You got to remember to prune them. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't do anything with plants myself. Uh, I have killed plenty of plants in my lifetime. Um, thank God I have an awesome wife who takes care of our plants now. But I would say my hobbies are definitely cooking and grilling, just like you two. I love to grill. I grill year-round. I don't care what the weather is. Having uh, been raised in Erie, Pennsylvania and Cleveland, I would grill in the middle of winter with like two feet of snow on the ground. I don't care. I love to grill. I love to golf, even though I am a horrible golfer. Just ask anyone in the symphony that has gone golfing with me, and there's been many people, they can all attest to the fact that I am always the highest score of the day, like no matter what. I'm, but I, but I love it. It's fun. Hang on. You can say that, but you and I recently went top golfing together with the, with That's a, true. A, some staff members. And, That's true. Um, you were at the very top of that field. So you look like an excellent golfer to me because I missed the ball more than I hit the ball that day. Well, I'll just let you keep believing in that illusion. <laughs> okay. So yeah, if you actually saw me out on the golf course, you wouldn't think the same. But okay. I but I do enjoy golfing. I also really love sports. As you guys know, I talk about sports all the time on this podcast. And I also really love playing poker. I am a huge poker fan. I love watching poker. I love playing poker. Uh, I've had a couple symphony games over at my house before. It's been a long time since I've been able to do that because of COVID. So I'm looking forward to things returning to normal and being able to play in some poker games again. But, you know, it makes sense to me, actually, that you like to play poker because, you know, you're just a cool, calm, collected, polite guy. It doesn't matter what's going on. 
you're just you're the same. You're just Jason. So what does you he have want from you? Perfect wow. poker face. Mike and Stephanie, do you guys want to be like my self esteem coaches? You guys are really making me feel good today well, about my golf game, my poker game. I really appreciate it. <laughs> We're trying to boost you up before you lose at bar talk later. That's oh, a ah, that's a course, good call. Of course, yep. yeah. that's, that's inevitable. True. That's yeah. inevitable. That always happens. Well, today we're joined by uh, a friend and Kansas City Symphony cellist who is, of course, a true artist through and through. He's a beautiful performer and a dedicated teacher, but also a man who takes his hobbies very seriously. He, let me see, he juggles, uh, composes music, he makes videos, plays the guitar, he flies remote control aircraft of all sorts. Uh, he stargazes, and and those are really only the hobbies that I know about. I bet there are more. So uh, I'm delighted now to welcome our friend Larry Fig. Larry, well, thank welcome. you very much. That's quite an intro. That is quite <laughs> an intro. I'm curious, Larry. So what what did Mike leave out? Because there has to be more. I mean, just before this, we were talking about teaching French. Yeah, I, I well, I do. I teach French. Um, because I lived in France for 15 uh-huh. years, so I learned the language to the point where everything was in French. Even my dreams were in French. I, I could have been a spy. I think I could have passed as a spy. I'm pretty sure. Because <laughs> I've, I've fooled a few French people, too. Where some, you know, I've, I remember conversations with French people. I'm sorry, this is too long-winded. But conversations with French people where about a minute in, I start getting this look. Are you British? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm American. I'm just American. I just speak the language. Yeah. Did, did well, Michael mention juggling? I don't know if Michael mentioned juggling. Yeah. That yeah, was, the first that was number one. Yeah. That was number yeah. one. Yeah. We all know that you're an amazing juggler. Amazing. And that's in, included in several of these videos that you've made uh, that Mike was talking about as well. But I must also attest, since we are all attesting to each other's skills at their hobbies. I have heard Larry speaking French backstage, especially when we've had a a French-speaking guest artist, like a guest conductor or a violinist or something, and he is absolutely brilliant and fluent. And I would also think that you are a native from France myself. That's what I think. You know, I, I spent so much time refining that when I was in France because I felt so self-conscious. This is the 80s. Like, this is 1985. Or 80, yeah, 85. This is a total, I mean, think of back to the 80s in America, and then for my eye, you take 10 years off that as far as fashion is concerned, and that's what 1985 <laughs> looked like in Paris to me. <laughs> yeah, Europe always looked like 10 years before, whenever I went over there. And, but I remember really, you know, having a musical ear, I really wanted to fit in. And I spent uh, a lot of time just trying to work, because I can do several accents, even from these different regions of France, because it's very funny mm-hmm. when you study it. You know, just like in America, the, the Southern accent is very lazy. And, you know, even like the, the way you finish words is different. It's, it's just, it just has this kind of relaxed laziness to it. Up in the North, they're very uptight, very nasal. Everything gets very pinched whenever they speak. It's very funny. Um, but I felt personally that the measure of my fluency was when I could uh, understand and appreciate uh, the stand-up comics. Because I love stand-up mm-hmm. comedy. And I used to remember listening really getting into all these stand-up comics. I remember at one point I'm going, really, I'm really laughing at this stuff. Like I, I, I'm getting all these cultural references that they're talking about because I live them every day. And so I felt like at that point, 
Okay. Yeah. I guess I can say I speak French. I, I'm curious. So tell us uh, how you ended up in France. It was totally following my emotions and my heart and had nothing to do with music. Ah. My first wife is a pianist. Her name is Catherine Schneider. And uh, she was uh, accompanying, she, she studied accompaniment at Curtis because that was especially at Curtis with uh, Vladimir Sokolov at the time. And she's a wonderful, wonderful Accompanist, pianist, you know, but that was especially, you know, to accompany singers and instrumentalists. And uh, we met at Curtis and fell in love. And uh, when, when we graduated in 85, we immediately went to France and we got married in just this incredibly beautiful monastery in Nice, Le, Le Monastère de Signier, it was called. I remember the old preacher who got us married, the priest. Uh, he was just a relic of a man. It was just incredible stuff, you know. I just and so that's how I ended up in France. Was we met at at Curtis Institute as musicians, and I felt adventurous, and she wanted to go home. So I said, "All right, let's go." And that's how I ended up. So, Larry, I have two questions. It's a two part question, and the two questions have absolutely nothing to do with each other. First question: Do French stand up comedians only make jokes about dumb Americans? No. Is it true that they like to make fun of Americans at all times? Yes, we are yes. Oh, stupid American. <laughs> well, I mean, when you compare the cultures, there's, there's a lot to laugh about sometimes. I mean, <laughs> and I guess it goes both ways. You know, we make fun of the French all the time. But it's just that whenever you encounter those differences in culture that, and, you know, I had to laugh too. The, the, like, for example, the one stereotype was the loud talking American or the American who thinks you'll understand him better if he speaks louder. I always thought that was a joke until I actually heard it. <laughs> until I heard them doing it. It's like, they're really doing that. That's why they're making fun of this. It's like, and I, I never interjected. I just, you know, I sort of, I, I avoided those Americans at all. It's funny, the, the, uh, the slang term for an American is a ricain. It's just an American which is the term American, and then they just shorten it up to American. Yeah, I, I can see that. That's pretty cool. All right, second question, not related. As I said, you mentioned that you attended the Curtis Institute of Music, which we all know is one of the premier uh, institutions that you could study music as a student here in America. Who was your roommate in college <laughs> at the Curtis Institute of Music? I think our listeners would be very curious to know this. I'll give you a hint. He has a very famous sister who plays in a trio with Jamie uh, Jamie Laredo. Okay. <laughs> Sharon Robinson is his sister. His brother, Hal Robinson, is principal bass of the Philly Orchestra. Okay. And this roommate, whose people may know as Keith Hall Robinson, but I know him as Robbie, uh, is now the cellist. I think there's. I think he's still the cellist with the Miami String Quartet, and he. I think he taught at Kent University. But Robbie was my roommate for three years at Curtis. Uh-huh, cool. So many memories. There's no way I'm going to tell you. About those. <laughs> <laughs> but was there someone else from the Kansas City Symphony family that was at Curtis at the same time as you? Maybe you guys didn't live together. I thought maybe you lived together. No. No, he, he didn't need to share. <laughs> <laughs> Who would that be, Larry? So I'll stretch it out a little more. When I first walked into the Curtis lobby, I don't know if you've ever been to Curtis. It's, it's basically a huge mansion that they've uh, transformed into classes and studios and blah, blah, blah. And when I first walked into the lobby, which is very luxurious, car- you know, plush carpets and very dark wood uh, everywhere, 
And I'm standing up at the bulletin board because I figured that's the first place she goes to the bulletin board. And I'm standing there pretending just like I know what I'm doing. I'm just standing there staring at these, this bulletin board of all these index cards. Now, this is before cell phones, all these index cards that tell you something. And as I'm standing there, I hear this voice next to me goes, so are you like a crap cellist or something? <laughs> <laughs> and I look over and I go, huh? And I go, so are you like a crap cellist? You're like, a, you know, crap cellist. It's like, uh, I don't think so. I think I just got here and I'm a little new and I'm just... And so he said, well, you want to go get a cup of coffee? And I said, sure, let's go get a cup of coffee. So there's a deli around the corner named Day's Deli. And I go with this guy who just got there. He says he's playing the viola. And we sit down and we're chatting. I haven't even asked his name yet. So we're chatting for a while. And, and he goes, here, you want my number? And I said, give him my number. And he, I, he goes, here, I'll give you my number. I go, what's your name again? He goes, Michael. I go, okay, Michael what? Michael Stern. And I remember I went, oh, like the violinist. Ha, ha, ha. And, <laughs> And he said, yes, like he, the violinist. No, he did not. He, <laughs> oh. he did not. He just said, oh, he kind of smiled because he must have thought that I knew already and I was pulling his leg or something. I oh, know. no. <laughs> but that's that's when I first met Michael. And he was there as technically as a viola student, but he was there really to study with Max Rudolph, mm-hmm. who, right. who the year after was actually put on the faculty. I think he was just... I think it was in the works, and Michael got there and, w- and worked with him early before he was officially faculty. But yeah, that's I met Michael Stern at Curtis literally 40 years ago. Wow, that's so cool. Well, it's good to hear that even back then, uh, he was still just a little bit neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> He's a violist. What do you expect? Honestly, I thought you guys were roommates. Yeah. I th- I knew you knew each other from Curtis, but I thought that was the story, that you guys were roommates. Well, okay. No, we I was- weren't roommates, although there, there was a... I mean, there were a few parties. I think there's one party that I don't remember. That we don't need to know about that. <laughs> that means it was a good party. Okay. Well, what, what I do remember, start. what I do remember, is that I was I woke up in my bed the next day, <laughs> in my apartment, and Michael says, "You know, we had to carry you home last night." Oh no! <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> That's oh, the boy. sign of a great party. Oh boy! All right, so you know, if we had to, if we had to storyboard this episode so far, I don't know. I think it would, it would probably look like some sort of Quentin Tarantino film. We've kind of, <laughs> we've kind of started in the middle of the story, yeah. and worked our way slightly backwards. Yes. So let's let's continue going backwards then, all the way to the beginning. Where where did Larry Fig come from? <laughs> like a like a, a cabbage patch somewhere? Where where are you from? Yes, when I was a gleam in my parents' eye, they were. No, I was born in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, 1963. Wow. I was born in Dallas, too. Really? Uh, so, do you remember a place called Richardson? Yes, of course. That's where I lived. We had a house in Richardson. And you know what's interesting about where we lived? Just down the street, I'm having a blank. Kennedy's assassin. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> yes. Lee Harvey, yeah. I wanted to Allegedly. say John Wilkes Booth, and that yeah. was not no, right. that's wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald's ex-wife lived down the street from where my parents had a house. Oh. And it's so weird. My parents told me the story like thousands of times. And they remember having, they remember seeing FBI surveillance in the street. Oh, this really? Is, That's crazy. Yeah, because this is after the Kennedy assassination. This is right after. That's I was a toddler at this point, but my parents mm-hmm. remember them, the FBI cars in the street, surveilling Lee Harvey Oswald's ex-wife. See, you mm-hmm. have a, a much cooler um, 
growing up in Dallas celebrity story because my celebrity story growing up in Dallas, we I grew up, I was born in Carrollton, Farmer's Branch. And my babysitter, when we lived there, she dated Vanilla Ice. That's my <laughs> celebrity Didn't famous story. Didn't you bring story. this up on a former episode? I Did feel I? like we've heard this fun oh, fact no. before. Tim, Tim, our producer, is nodding his head yes. So. <laughs> well, Stephanie, for those you of are you, name dropping, name dropping, name dropping. For those of you who did not know that, yes, my my babysitter growing up, she she dated Vanilla Ice, Robbie Van Winkle. Wow. That is impressive. So little Larry in in Texas was was playing was playing the little cello. Uh, uh, no, true. I didn't. I, you I didn't left, start the cello I, there. I moved. No, I moved away from Dallas when I was nine. My dad, uh, I should say, was a, a choir conductor, a just incredibly devoted choir conductor, like d- deeply down the rabbit hole. When he passed away, we could have opened a small music shop with all the music that he had. Mm. And I can remember every trip that we would take across the United States, he had to stop in every music store in every town just to go look at all the choral music that where he might find that one little gem, you know, that he's going to do for them. And my mom was a, a pianist and she would always accompany his choirs and she was also teaching. I don't know if you remember, uh, Stephanie, a, a place called Hockaday School oh, yeah. in Dallas. Mm-hmm. My mom was a teacher there. My dad was the choir director at Richardson High School. Mm-hmm. Before we moved to Kentucky, where he got a job at Moorhead State University. And oh, I know as, Moorhead State, yeah. Yeah, as a choir conductor there. And that's where I started the cello because we, uh, it was the fourth grade and it was a fourth grade strings class. And we were in some sort of, I don't know if they still do those lab schools. Do you guys remember those? Hmm. Do they still do lab schools. I don't know. But it was basically a school where the, that was affiliated with the university at Moorhead where the student teachers would come in and work with us. Oh, that's cool. So we would kind of, we would help them become teachers as their students. So one of the, you know, they would bring music teachers in and they would be our choir, our orchestra director or whatever. So that's where I started. And I I only started the cello because my older brother, Mike played the cello when he was a kid. And I thought, I'll I'll do that too. I didn't really care. Does Mike still play the cello? No. Ah. Here's a funny story. My parents, I've, there's five of us in our family, and um, my parents, I think, had one of those string quartet fantasies that parents have <laughs> for their kids, right? Because all my siblings, you know, we still pick on Phil because he got the viola, but <laughs> all my siblings had to play a string, a string instrument, and Mike played the cello, and I think my uh, David and Kathy played the violin, and Phil played the viola. And when they got, and they all gave it up, they all just got really turned off by it. And none of them are musicians. I mean, they're all musicians, but none of them are professional musicians. And uh, I'm the only child that they never pushed. Like, I'm the only child that they just said, oh, we're not going to try this anymore. I'm the only one that said, hey, can I be a musician? <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Whatever. Maybe that's because they didn't push you. Maybe that's there's a I connection think. there. That's my theory. Yeah, that's my theory. Yeah, parents huh. can definitely sometimes push the kid too hard and, and make them want to give up early. So I'm glad to hear that you were encouraged but not pushed like that. Yeah. Um, Larry, you and I, speaking of teaching, and uh, Mike mentioned earlier that that's one of your passions. Uh, you and I are both involved with a wonderful organization here in town, Heartland Chamber Music and String Sprouts, which is a, a program for young kids in the area to learn string instruments. 
Um, I'm so excited. I've been on the board for a year of that organization, and I'm so excited to be part of their Heartland Chamber Music Festival this summer. I know you'll be involved with it too. Talk a little bit about how you became involved with this great organization and what it means for you to be able to now, as a professional musician, give back in that way by being a teacher. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there's a lady named Vicki Olson who's a violist, and uh, 20 years ago, was this, this is 2000, 2001, she had this vision to start a chamber music program for, for the, the students around the area. And she is, her, her husband, Bob Olson, was the orchestra director at UMKC at the time. And so they had some collaboration with UMKC, and we got access to the campus. And she started this music camp, I guess, music festival. And I think there were maybe 20 kids, 10, 20 kids at the beginning. And she just asked, I'd just gotten here, and she'd asked me to come teach. And I said, hell yeah, I love teaching kids. And, hmm. and so I started then, um, and I've done it every year since except for last year because of the pandemic every year it gets better it gets bigger last year the last time we had in person there were over 100 students it's it's and it's an organization that really you know it's not trying to be too international but it has become international in spite of that originally it was just to reach out to the area and to help kids around here and so now it's it's still doing that and it's this year it's going to finally be in person again after the pandemic, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to that. That's awesome. I have yeah. I've established relationships with these kids over you know the last 20 years. Some of them are grown up and flown the coop and have lives, but I still stay in touch with them. And every one of them has come back to a T, saying, "Gosh, I'm glad I did that." <laughs> I think it's awesome. And uh, you know, you shared with me a while ago. You even made like a a cool graduation video for some of the kids because they didn't get to have their graduation uh, from the program. I thought that was so neat. Yeah. Yes, I wanted to read their names. <laughs> Just something about reading their names. You know, that's what they really loved. Apparently, that's what they really loved. Yeah, but but tell fun. everybody what the video was like, though. You weren't just standing there reading their names. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I forget what I did exactly. I, I did some juggling, I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, no. I, I had to... Didn't I play a Pomp and Circumstance? I think I had somehow... I, had, I was playing Pomp and Circumstance and then reading their names at the same time. Honestly, Michael, I don't remember very well. <laughs> Well, I don't remember perfectly, but I remember I remember you playing Pomp and Circumstance, but you know, you did the the split screen thing where you duplicated yourself and oh, looked like there were two. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Now yeah. I remember. That's right. That's right. So I had a split screen of me playing and the other of me reading their names, right? And then I think I even added some way some sound effects. Yeah, that was yeah. that was actually a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing that so much. Even if I, even if you like you don't see the reactions, you can guess. And that's that's kind of a pleasure, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So it leads it leads us back to your myriad hobbies. Uh, talk a little bit more about that because I think it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I was a little bit silly about it at the top of the show, but you know, you really dedicate yourself to you know so many different things. You know, it's it's not just like you know you go out and you make a video or you go out and you juggle a little bit like you. Like Larry, you know, he'll be found uh, either backstage uh, behind Healthsburg Hall or, you know, when we're in the pit, he'll be in the trap room under the stage practicing his juggling during intermissions or uh-huh. before or after shows. I mean, this is something you've been working on for at least a few years, as far as I can remember. And you've gotten really, really good at it and kind of also combine that now with your hobby of of making videos. So t- talk a little bit about how you got into that and what about it is satisfying for you and 
and why you know you really dedicate yourself uh, in such a wholehearted way to so many of these things. I think part of it is when I first started playing the cello as a kid that um, the practice process became almost an addiction. Hmm. Like I would, I, I that's when I as a kid I think as a as a you know as a as a musician as you're growing as a as a youngster. You don't really have the experience to say, this is how you should practice, this is how much you should practice, this is why you should practice. You just kind of practice because that's what you see everybody else doing. But I realized after, if I started when I'm nine and by the time I graduate Curtis when I'm 22 or 21, I know by then what real practicing is. When I went, when I, when I went to Curtis, when I went to college, I feel like that's when I actually started practicing. Before... Before I auditioned, I would practice maybe three hours a day, if that much, and I didn't really know how to practice. But when I got to Curtis, I learned how to like practice really intensely, and you know a lot all day long. And and I learned that the only way you can really learn something, the only way you can really say with authority that you know how to do something, is to spend all those hours with it, getting to know it, getting solving the problems of it. And so I feel like all that I've learned as a cellist, as a musician, what my teachers have taught me about practicing, I can now apply to anything, anything I want. I feel like learning to juggle, the only, the only hurdle for me was proper form and I'm old. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the clock is ticking. And I, you know, at this point, after seven years, I guess, of working on juggling, my only regret is that I'm just not younger, that my body is not younger and does not allow me to do as much work as I want to. So I'm learning to pace myself. And pacing myself means little bits. So every chance you, I get to establish some kind of muscle memory that will please me when I'm doing something, I take it. And I, I just I try to get one run through my muscles and say, look, that's what it looks like, and then do another run. And you know, and when the when the, the frustrations and everything come up that I remember from learning to play the cello, I feel like I I, I manage it much better than I, I did as a as a youngster. Well, that's really cool. And Larry and I have actually so I've gotten to work with Larry uh, in in the juggling arena um, a couple times. So we actually programmed a petite performance around larry's like the the theme of juggling and there was at one point at the end his string quart it was playing with a quartet and the quartet became a trio for a couple pieces at the end and larry <laughs> choreographed a juggling routine to um to this trio and it was it was amazing and it was so fun to watch and it was really neat seeing you put those kind of two things together two things that seemingly don't go together at all. But then he, one thing that was super clever. So, you know, during this last year, we've been, when we've not been able to perform live in front of, you know, boatloads of children, um, we've been putting together a lot of videos and, and both Larry and Mike have done a tremendous number of videos. Larry put together um, a video on the term a cello rondo, which uh, was by far like put all of my video editing to shame (laughs) but but he said that you sent this cool this cool video where you know you played the cello but you also broke down the concept of what an cello rondo is by showing you know what it's like you know when you have balls in the air and you know to get faster your hands move faster and the balls you know don't maybe don't go quite as high and 
it was just a really neat visualization of what what we do musically, which is something I never would have thought of. Yeah, it adds space. It adds space to the image. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and kids, you know, teaching kids rhythm or tempo or the or the concept of a of a tempo is just so abstract. You know, it's just yeah. like we, we're constantly subdividing these these things and we feel like it's a tempo, but someone who doesn't do that has no clue. And so my idea there was that, well, what if you translate that sort of strange feeling of distance and time into distance, into physical distance? Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, with all, with all of these irons in the fire, um, you seem like a guy who's not going to be satisfied and just, you know call it done what's the next hobby you're gonna you're gonna get into what are what are you interested in trying next you no know, i have to admit i don't have a hobby in mind yet because i feel like oh. there's still so much i have to, to develop in my juggling like i'm at the next i'm at the next stage of my juggling where I, i'm pretty sure i need another 10 years hmm. oh wow yeah and i'm okay with that what what i'm doing now what i'm trying to learn and what i want i hope to do in the next show that we do together hint hint wink wink uh-huh. is uh-huh. um it's called balance juggling and I've, I've put a couple of videos on Facebook about it, but it's basically where it's called active balance. I should say active balance juggling. Um, so it's basically, I start by uh, balancing a club on my chin and just doing that in itself is really hard because you develop all these neck muscles that you had no clue you even had before just to hold the thing there. And so while balancing, I'm learning to juggle three balls. So right now I'm at the step of learning to do that and juggle three balls. Uh, however, I have I have created my own prop expressly for that next show I do at the Petite Symphony, uh-huh. where it's a pole. It's about five feet long, and it's got three little baskets, like basketball baskets, at the top. And so my goal now is to balance that thing on my chin, balance three balls, and then toss those balls up into the baskets up at the top <gasps> of the pole. And if I have an assistant, it's really hard. I'll probably miss. If I have an assistant, they'll grab the balls while I'm doing the balance and give them right back to me. Until we get all three balls into the basket and applause, end of bit. Thank you Who much. is the assistant? Because if you're, if, if we're going to do a petite performance and that's going to be me, I'm going to be so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then it's going to be you, that's for sure. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Stephanie, it sounds like we should put it on a regular educational concert, like a, a YPC, a oh, Young we've talked concert, about it. or kinder concert. So I know we've talked about this before, but we can put it on that, and then I can be the assistant or the associate, so to uh, say, since yes. that's already my title, associate conductor. There you go. Associate ball distributor, back to Larry, so he can keep <laughs> making baskets. But it's funny, you know, you say, like, what's the next trick? The problem is that as I get obsessive practicing this trick, I realize my neck starting to get some issues because I'm using all these muscles like it wasn't before. And that's where I say, I wish I had a new body. I wish I had my 20 year old body that would not complain about these things like it does now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I think there's a real possibility that by the time you're ready to retire from uh, playing the cello, you'll be ready to join Cirque du Soleil or something like that. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'll be in a body cast. (laughs) Yeah. One or or the the other. other. (laughs) One or the other. Well, uh, I, I would, I would love to uh, delve deeper into your passion for juggling, and we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to have perhaps one day a sequel to this episode, a part deux, uh, <laughs> where we where we complete your journey from France back to Kansas City, and we find out more about juggling and radio controlled things. But uh, <laughs> the one thing that we cannot leave out of this episode are two questions, which are required by law. And, and those are, of course, 
if you were to walk into your favorite pub, coffee house, whatever you prefer, uh, with Beethoven, what would be your preferred beverage? And what would you ask Beethoven? My preferred beverage would be a Guinness Extra Stout. Mm. Ooh, nice one. Lovely. Now, am I asking Beethoven what he's drinking? Oh, you no, could. You could, if that is your, I mean, you got one question but to you ask only Beethoven. Get one question. So yeah. if that's it. Cool. Oh, but, I would say, know. I would say, <laughs> Ludwig, when's the last time you were in this joint? <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of a good uh, Frenchman uh, stand-up comedy joke. <laughs> it, all right. Well, we could uh, become a veritable UN here of dad jokes in all languages <laughs> of the globe. Uh, but But we have another important game to get to, and that is, of course... Bar talk and Larry, uh, you being a devoted fan of the show, I'm sure you know that uh, with all of our Casey Symphony family guests, uh, we play a little game called Bar Talk. And uh, today, since uh, we've been talking about hobbies, I thought it would be really fun if we could play a game where we guess the preferred hobby of some famous musicians. Now, mm. these are not. These are not necessarily uh, classical musicians. These are actually they're all, uh, yeah, they're all pop musicians. But they have some really fascinating hobbies, and uh, you are of course a musician with fascinating hobbies. So I thought it would be fun to guess. Okay, so I'm going to give you the celebrity in question, the celebrity musician, and three choices for what their hobby might be, and then each of you will give your response. Say which one you think mm. is their hobby. Okay? You ready? Got it. This, this is going to be exciting. All right. Kay. So the first, the first one, one of my favorite pop singers, of course, Taylor Swift. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. That's a given. Tay-Tay herself. Okay. So is her uh, hobby of choice A, knitting, B, baking pies, hmm. or C, making snow globes? Larry, you have the first Ooh. guess. I'm going to go with snow globes. Isn't she from Canada? I no. believe she is. She's not. Yeah, that sounds like good reasoning, she's actually. She's not yeah. from Canada, Okay, is well, she? No, you're thinking Celine Dion, I think. She's no. from Canada. Yeah. Another but, great female singer. Taylor's... I'm still going to go with snow globes. I'm going with okay, snow globes. Okay, Larry says snow globes. Stephanie? Okay. I'm going to say snow globes, too, because I know that she's very crafty. Wow, okay. Jason? I was going to go snow globes, but I have to try to establish myself right away if I'm ever going to win Bartok. So I'm going to go with uh, knitting. All right. Well, establishing yourself uh, is going to be tantamount to losing for you because the correct, <laughs> the correct answer is making snow globes. Yes. Which snow globes I, is. I didn't honestly know anything about Taylor Swift. I thought that was very fascinating. I didn't even know you could make your own snow globe. How, so, yeah, how do you make a snow globe? I don't know. We'll call and ask I thought she was from show. Canada. What are you talking about? She, uh, we'll find out about Canada. Okay, number two, a favorite musician of mine, Alice Cooper. Mm. So uh, Alice Cooper, when he's not, you know, goth rocking it or whatever you call what he does, uh, is he does he A, play golf, B, mm. uh, go-kart racing, or C, horse breeding? Hmm. Golf, go-kart racing, or horse breeding? Who are you starting with this we'll, time? Uh, we'll start with you, Jason, since you've established yourself. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the fact that I bet Alice Cooper takes off the makeup, puts on a hat, and goes golfing. I think he's probably a good golfer and probably a lot better than me. All right, Stephanie. Uh, interesting. I'm going. It, it's between the go kart racing and the horse breeding. Honestly, uh, horse breeding sounds so out there that that's what I'm gonna go with. Okay. Very hmm. off out out it. 
not personality of his. And and Larry, I'm you know I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with golf, and I I just see him as a golfer. Now. He is in fact an avid golfer. Oh yes. man, I got a point. There you go. Woo. There you nice go. Nice job, Larry. We nailed that one. Yep. Horse breeding. Come on, stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went so, out on a limb. I d- I took the Jason route. I understand. <laughs> so far, we're zero for two when you take my route. So <laughs> I wouldn't was, take this one again. She was going to lengths on that one. Yes. Ah. <laughs> Three quarters of a length. Anyway. My parents wow. did just attend the Kentucky Derby, so maybe that was in my. Okay, maybe yeah, that was yeah, it. The Derby on mine. Yep. Okay. okay, so we're gonna stick with the '70s '80s uh, rocker theme for a minute and move on to uh, our friend Brian May from Queen. Mm. Right, great musician, amazing musician. So yep. uh, Brian May, does he enjoy a making gin? B, astrophysics, hmm. or C, acting in Shakespeare plays? Ooh, Making gin, one. astrophysics, or Shakespeare plays? We'll start with Stephanie. Uh, I'm going to go with B, astrophysics, Mike. B, astrophysics. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Larry? You know, I'm going to go with B, astrophysics as well, because I hope that's the kind of guy he is. Mm. You hope he's an astrophysicist. And Jason? I feel like this fact came up in Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie about Queen that just came out a couple years ago. And I do believe it is astrophysics. Final answer. Wow. Well, all three of you uh, are right. He is, yes. in Woo! fact, a trained astrophysicist. He apparently lectures in it. And it's amazing. I never would guess that he's an astrophysicist. It's a true story. He's not only a great musician, he's a brilliant mind as it's, well. It's absolutely true. Okay, last but not least here. Hang on, can mm. we see where we are in the standings right now? Because oh. I feel like Larry has gotten them all correct, Larry's gotten right? all three, so he probably can't lose. And then he Jason probably... and I have gotten two. Yeah, I think you're right. We can yep. only tie at this point. Okay. Wow, okay. Yeah, Larry could win it all, though. Okay, well, that's good. All right. By the way, none of this information is actually verified by anything other than Google, so, you know... <laughs> If some of it's Wikipedia. wrong, you know, feel free to r- write write angry letters to the Kansas City Symphony about our lack of scholarship on rock stars. Okay, here we go. I can't believe I I can't believe none of us have, have looked up where Taylor Swift was born, but it was not well, Canada. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. It's so, not important. So, uh, final final question here about Madonna. Ooh, Are her Madonna. or is her preferred hobby yoga, chess? Or collecting shoes, yoga, chess, hmm. or shoe collecting for the material girl. <laughs> Ooh, was that a hint? Yeah, it sounded I like s- a hint. It's but not I, a hint. He might be trying to steer us the wrong way, though. Jason, start us off. We're starting with me. I'm going to go with chess. Chess. Because I feel like you're trying to steer us in the wrong direction. I bet she's an avid chess player. Interesting. Okay. Stephanie. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say yoga, Bob. Yoga. And Larry, for the chance to clinch. Don't see Madonna as a chess. Did I mention chess was also one of my hobbies? Oh, no. Oh, you, you did, did not, not, but I'm glad you did. I'm going to say collecting shoes. I'm going to say collecting shoes. shoes. Okay, yeah. okay, interesting. Okay. Well, uh, it turns out the correct answer is yoga. Oh! Yoga. Stephanie gets it right. Incidentally, <laughs> I didn't put Celine Dion into the game here, but I did read that she is an avid shoe collector as I was oh. researching ah. for Bar Talk today. <laughs> okay. Before we get to the results, uh, yeah. by the way, I just looked up Taylor Swift. She is from Pennsylvania. See, I was going to make that a tiebreak question. <laughs> oh, well, it's too late. You already looked it up. So okay, it's your oh, I'm in the tiebreak. <laughs> we got to have a tiebreak question. 
You um, so you were trying to set up your own tie breaking. Uh, no, I guess not fair. I was gonna give Jason a chance to redeem himself, but he's lost oh, again. Well, very no, clearly, I've lost again. No, there's no there's no redemption. I just <laughs> lost again. Well, uh, the official scores have been tallied, and uh, with two points, we have. Jason Sieber. Yay. Two, two out of four. Holding down the fort in last place. Well which I believe is enough. established points. And <laughs> in a tie for first place, we have the great, the one, the only Stephanie Brimhall and our guest today, Larry Fig. Congratulations. You have each earned nice three job, points in bar talk. Stephanie, that's your second win in a row. I just want to thank all of my fans and everyone who supported me, my family, my dogs, you know, just your plants. Thank you. My my plants who I haven't killed yet. Larry, (laughs) feel free to give a a completely unwarranted speech. Well, I I would like to thank my parents as well, who I'm sure when I was a gleam in their eye saw someday that I would be (laughs) answering questions about Taylor Swift. Incorrectly. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Larry, I want to thank you so much for being on the show with us today. It's good to see you. And uh, I can't wait to see you in person and watch you juggling backstage again in between rehearsals. Thank you guys for having me on. This was a lot of fun. It's it's fun to just sit around and shoot the poop, as we say. (laughs) Is that what you say in France? (laughs) Sounds like another French. How would you say that in French? Semachrier les oreilles. Which means chewing on our ears, basically. Ah, okay. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, normally we would do some um, recommended listening at this point, but I think it would be fun if in the show notes um, and on our website uh, for this episode, we include some of Larry's juggling and Larry's videos. If, if you're open to it, Larry, we can share um, some. Absolutely. But I would also awesome. like to recommend some Please. really good jugglers. Oh, that would uh, be ooh, great. Nice. Yeah. yeah. There's a guy named Anthony Gatto, who is, I would call him the Yasha Heifetz of juggling. Okay. Huh. Nice. Literally. And it's funny. And he has a fantastic story. He's like one of those child prodigies. He was already doing the circuit when he was nine years old. And when he was a teenager, he was doing Vegas. And then he did Cirque du Soleil. And now he's retired. But this guy, uh, just Anthony Gatto. I'm not even going to say a word. If you look up Anthony Gatto, you will see the most, you won't believe what you're seeing. (laughs) We'll put him in the show notes. Do you recommend that we watch a video of Larry juggling or Anthony juggling first? Anthony. Okay. All because right. as much as I would like to be the center of attention in juggling, I, you got to give credit to these people who have devoted literally their whole lives to this one. And sometimes it's for a number that they have done for 30 years and still, still go out and do it day after day after day. It's really amazing. That's awesome. Will do. Well, thank you, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great to sit down and talk with you. Thank you for giving up your time and joining us today. Well, next week, we'll be talking with the director of 91.9 Classical KC and chief of broadcast operations for KCUR and Classical KC, Stephen Stigman. I first met Stephen a little over a year ago as he was leading a project to bring round-the-clock classical radio back to Kansas City. Radio may seem like the technology of yesterday, but we'll learn how Classical KC is actually working to transform what it means to be a local classical radio station and partner with local artists to make our music more accessible than ever. Next time, Beethoven walks into a bar. <laughs>